0: to another episode of the haskin cast podcast i am your host scott haskin and i have a very special album that i am covering this one has had a great amount of history for me in my life and i'm really looking forward to getting into it but i wanted to go a step further and i want to talk to a really good friend of mine about it who also loves this album as much as i do returning from the deep purple podcast my good friend john Matola. john how are you Oh, very good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so excited to dig into this album with you. When I sent you the list of albums that I wanted to cover, uh, this was one of the ones that you had selected. And I was really excited about that. But why did you pick it? Because you've already done this
1: album on your own show. I know, right? Um, I was uh, it's just one of these albums that's um it's kind of like the the uh the odd man out, I guess you could say. So it's um I, I don't get I don't get tired of uh, talking about it and dissecting it, especially with some of the uh, one of the surprises that you uh, laid on us um, when you when you uh, were uh, telling me about the uh, the episode. So, yeah. Um, like what we were going to hear. So um yeah, I mean that I, I mean I love Gillen and I love Sabbath and it's just um it's an interesting period. Yeah, and I I I love I love albums like this of like uh, the kind of like interesting period albums, you know, the one-offs and stuff like that. They were always interesting to me. So that's why I want to you know be part of this again. Yeah, and I'm
0: really glad uh there is definitely a rich history that goes with this album. I mean, it it spurred a scene in Spinal Tap. From their, their first concert where the midget uh, that they had uh, walking across <laughs> yeah. the thing was supposed to fall on a mattress and somebody had moved the mattress. So when the screaming, the pre-recorded screaming stopped, there was still screaming going on because he had hit the floor. And, uh, and so there was real screaming in the middle of this concert. Ian had uh, a real hard time learning Ozzy's lyrics. So he wrote himself a little cheat sheet. Uh, in a booklet and put that down on the floor by the monitor, but they were blowing so much dry ice and fog that he actually couldn't see the book at all. And he like, you know, he's trying to blow the smoke away so he can read it, but he had to start singing. I mean, just everything <laughs> that could go wrong. You know, they built the stage set too big for most of the stages that they were playing on. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it yeah. it was a recipe for disaster from the beginning. But uh, as much as a, a live footage person as I'm not, I have heard some of these shows and I thought they sounded fantastic as a, as a band for this one tour.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard a um, I, I haven't heard a bootleg um, or, um, you know, a show from this in a in a while, but I remember I had gotten one um, years ago I, and we might have talked about it on the, the episode of my show as well. But um, I mean, I agree that um you know it was it was definitely like a cool sounding lineup because you're basically like it's the original musicians of black sabbath with the 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 voice of deep purple so i'm just like how could that not be awesome especially because they were so heavy and then like hearing gillen do some of the sabbath songs too like what was his take on it i haven't heard it in a while though
0: yeah it's been a while for me too i actually meant to to listen to it and i just didn't but Uh, It is definitely interesting because you don't hear Gillen doing a lot of covers. So for him to be in another band that has a history and be in a position where he has to sing someone else's songs is a pretty rare thing. So that is interesting. But also uh, how he found out he was in the band Uh, he had gone out drinking with the guys and the next day he got a call from his manager saying, "Uh, if you're going to be making these life-altering decisions without consulting me, then I'm really not going to manage you anymore. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he said, apparently last night you agreed to join Black Sabbath. So it wasn't like a conscious thing where they sat down and had a contract agreement or whatever. I mean, they just got drunk and said, let's do it. And then actually followed through and did it and created a fantastic album.
1: Yeah, that's that's probably one of the better stories uh, in rock history, if you ask me, because that's how that's how getting together a band should be, you know.
0: Yeah, that I mean, it doesn't get any more rock and roll than that, right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there is another uh, controversy to this album, uh, and, and this actually uh, almost didn't happen. Ian was trying to get Purple back together, and it just wasn't coming together, and so he. You know, he joined Sabbath for a year, and then after that, Purple came together to do Perfect Strangers. So uh there is a big controversy over the mix on this album, on what happened, why it sounds the way it does. Uh The artwork, I know Gillen hated it. I'm not a big fan of the album cover. I'm just kind of used to it, so I don't think about it a whole lot. Uh, but it's just this creepy devil baby that's just got its claws out for no reason. And mm-hmm. uh But the mix... I'm used to the mix, so I don't really think about it. When I first heard the album, I wasn't an audio engineer. I wasn't thinking in terms of this could sound better, this should be this or that. I just kind of accepted things as they were. So for me, I don't really have an issue with it. But Gillen said that the monitor mixes that he had were a hundred times better than what actually got released. Then there was a remastered version that came out, and I was really excited about that. But to me, it pretty much sounded the same. It was just a little bigger, but the mix hadn't changed. So there is rumor that Tony is getting all the material together to remix the album and and Mm re-release it. I hope that's true. I would be very curious to hear how it sounds. Um, And I'll get into that when we get into one of the specific songs later. But uh, how do you feel about the overall sound of the album?
1: I think that um, everything, when I was younger, when I first got the album, like I knew that it had that kind of different sound to it, but it wasn't until I got older and I started talking about it with friends and like uh, on podcasts and stuff like this and hearing other people's opinions that I realized why it was different. And I guess why it wasn't like as good as it could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I always thought that it was really, um, um, it was a interesting sounding album because it kind of had this like really kind of like, it was heavy, but it was like this really kind of like sludgy, like really kind of like uh um, um I, I don't know how else to to um, to describe it. It was just this kind of just really sludgy kind of sound. Um and it was like I, I think it worked for the album. Like I I mean I enjoyed listening to it, but it's like, okay, that's the that's the Born Again album. Like that's the sound it has. Like it doesn't sound like heaven and hell mob rules. It doesn't sound like Seventh Star. Like those are all different so to me that was like when i first got it i'm like okay so that's like the 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 heavy like gillen sounding album but i didn't exactly know why it was heavy and then later on digging into it and kind of like you know hearing everybody's opinions on why or how it could have been better um i don't know if i would necessarily change it because like you said the um or want to change it um because like you were talking about the album cover you know you kind of get used to it maybe you're you know you're endeared to it a little bit but i would definitely say that if they if it's like i only had a chance to get his hands on the the master tapes and he was able to remix it that would be something i would be interested in hearing like like a uh, like a pristine version of like a, a reimagined version of because um i mean by all accounts it is kind of a crappy crappy sounding album like in compare like if you're comparing it to like um even like heaven and hell right and i think we might have even like had that kind of um um like uh, we were like wondering that when we were doing the episode on born again was just like what would this album sound like if it had like heaven and hell production
0: yeah, well, I mean, there's certain things that right off the bat you you know are different, like Tony Iommi's guitar sound. It sounds heavy, but it's not beefy. It doesn't have a lot of low end on it that really gives you that heavy sound that you would expect from Black Sabbath. You've got the snare drum, which really sounds like a, a really big, deep snare, but it's so quiet and it's more almost more like you hear just the attack and the reverb than you do the actual strings vibrating on the bottom head. It's It's just a really weird sound. Um, I would be curious to hear a normal production of it because I wonder what else we're not hearing. What is it that's buried in the reverb that maybe we're just not even aware of is there at all. And we're going to get to that when we get to the song Born Again. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I have to think that there's some hidden things in there that we just aren't even aware of. I actually went on YouTube last night and listened to a couple of different uh, versions of Born Again. And there's actually a ride symbol that he plays at the beginning that I had no idea was even there. So that alone tells me, you know, somebody went in and just did a little bit of EQing and and put it up on YouTube. So that tells me right there, there is a different album than what we're used to lying under. It's almost like if, you know, you see a Da Vinci painting and somebody goes to, to restore it and they find out there's another painting underneath yeah, I kind of feel like that's that's what we're what where we're at with this album.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think that the the kind of history, the lore behind it, and everybody wanting to hear like the the true the truer version of it is like what makes it so interesting, you know? Uh, because it's like, okay, now we we know that the album sounds kind of like you know sludgy and it drags, and you know, it has all these these sound problems, so what what it sound like you know what what secrets are buried in underneath the mix and everything you know the uh, like you said the ride symbol the flute um you know and i mean it's like and there were there are some other things too like uh there were some solos like when you listen to some of like iomi solos you're just like oh my god like i got like take the earphones off because it's just like piercing so i mean there are definitely some like some like uh eqing problems there it's like oh man it's it's almost like it's not even enjoyable yeah. Um,
0: and it's just drowned in reverb. I mean, there's so much reverb on this album, you kind of feel like they just recorded it in a cave versus a like an actual padded studio,
1: right? Yeah, but I mean, there were times where I listened to the album when you listened to an album, CDs, whatever, uh, cover to cover, and it's like if I was in the mood for it for that kind of like uh, that kind of like gloomy type sound, then it, it was really you know, it hit the spot, and um. I mean, if you look at it overall, like it, what Sabbath was supposed to be, it was probably like, you know, one of the last, like, you know, truly Sabbath y albums because it, you know, the production did, you know, have that kind of like gloomy, like heavy, like, uh, like production. it uh, like that whole sound you know it didn't it wasn't produced like a pop album or something
0: gloomy is a perfect word to describe this album i think i i don't think i could pick a better word i'm glad you said that because i was trying to search for how like what i would use and i just couldn't find a word that really fit but gloomy does it for sure yeah uh now i've got the link to episode was it 96 i believe of the deep purple podcast uh where so you guys could go listen to that and check it out. I've also got a link to our friend Rye, uh, our deep dive brother over at Sabbath Bloody Podcast. He also did an episode on this album, of course, because he covered all the Black Sabbath albums and then all the Ozzy Osbourne albums, and then just ran out <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> and uh, so that the both of those links are in the show notes. They're excellent episodes. You guys should check them out. And if you you're not already listening to these shows, uh, they're they're both fantastic. Uh, so before we get into uh, a little surprise that I have to kick this off. Uh, John, why don't you, you talked about this a little bit on your show, but why don't you give us a, a little bit of a history, how you came into this album and, and why it's an important album to you.
1: So I was, um, I mean, I was into um, uh, uh, Sabbath and Purple, um, you know, all those heavy rock bands. So, um, you know, this was, uh, came up in my my collecting of the albums. Like, um, you know, I always say that, I started off in the the late '80s listening to music, and so I was into all the LA hair metal bands. But then when they started talking about their influences, I started to look back, and I'm like, "Well, if they like those bands, then you know, I would I'd like them too." So that's how I got into Sabbath, and so I started. Um, I'm pretty sure I started with like the Ozzy albums, but then I started getting the the Ozzy Sabbath albums and working my way up chronologically, or as you know, as good as I. Could figure out. And I don't remember when I found out that Ian Gillen was in Black Sabbath, but that like blew my mind. And I'm like, well, I, I have to have this album. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I mean, I had seen it, you know, I was at the point where like, I would go into the record store, like all the time and see the, the album. So I knew the cover, but I couldn't afford all of them. Like I just had to get them one at a time or the, the Columbia house or BMG deal. Which as we know, we've exploited more than we should be willing to admit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um but I'm pretty sure I picked this up at one of the local record stores finally. But I mean, I was really familiar with the the cover, and the cover was just like I can't remember why I felt about it, but I was just like, oh, this is like grotesque. Like I don't know what's going on here, but it's like I can wait for this one, I think, you know. Um and then, like I said, I got it and, um, you know, it was um, it was definitely one of the more interesting albums, like I said, like after a while, like when you hear the classic albums, right, say like if you're just talking about Sabbath, right, you have uh, the first album, Paranoid, Master of Reality, like those are the those are the popular ones, right? And then there's like Sabotage, which are like the revered albums. And then as you get later and later, it's just like. It, you know, you were kind of a weirdo if you like technical ecstasy or never say die, if those are like your favorite albums, or if you were like, um, so it's like, so though I gravitated toward those because I'm like, well, that's different. You know, it's like, you never hear about that stuff. You know, the, the, I've never heard these songs. Like you hear all the bootlegs and everybody's talking about these songs, but then you hear like the deep cuts on those and you're just like, Oh, this is some good stuff too. So it was the same thing with this. Is like you had the Dio albums after he left, which everybody loved. And then, just all the rest from like, you know, Gillen and Hughes and, you know, then the later albums. And so that's why this one interested me um because it was like one of the outliers, you know, not everybody really, it wasn't like popular pop. I mean, it is like cult popular now, but um I mean that on top of the fact that I was always fascinated that it's like, I said before, it's like the original Sabbath guys, like, naomi butler and ward with ian gillen i'm like to me that just sounded like a killer combo um and i was excited to hear it and um that's that's pretty much that
0: yeah for me i don't remember i think we got it at the record store um i think my brother bought that one because we would like i would buy an album and he would buy an album we would just kind of share the collection you know mm-hmm. and so i think this was one that he bought at a place called harmony house which was our our local music store although man those columbia house deals i really wish we had those kind of things in in, in today's <laughs> world but uh yeah i loved the album right off the bat i remember it was like spring or summer when i first got into it i don't remember exactly when we got it but that was when i started really listening to it i used to paint a lot i did pictures in like acrylics uh, you know, I was one of those people that would watch Bob Ross on Sunday morning. And like <laughs> yeah. he's painting this amazing thing. And I'm painting stick figures and, you know, not even doing those well. But I enjoyed it. And so I would I would just put this album on and this album, like whenever I listened to hotline, I smell linseed oil, because that's like what I would have around me while I was listening to the album. So there's certain like triggers, you know, and, and I remember mm-hmm. it was like spring and the snow had melted in, in Michigan. And uh just little things like that but just i just took to this album right away and there's there's not a song on it that i think is a as a sleeper track i love every single one of them and uh yeah it's it's been definitely a very special album for me throughout the years and i'm really looking forward to to digging into it
1: yeah same here but
0: before we do i have a little bit of a clip that i want to play from you uh for you when deep purple was on rockline which was uh, an interview show that was on the radio where you could actually call in. And Bob Coburn was the host of it. Uh, you could call in and be put on the air and ask whoever the guest was a question. Uh, Rainbow was on there. White Snake was on there. Sabbath's been on there. Jimmy Page, Deep Purple. Uh, so when the first time I heard the show was when Deep Purple was on for Perfect Strangers, which would have been uh, shortly after uh, Ian left Black Sabbath. So really, this album was still, you know, kind of hot on the press. And somebody had called in and asked him a question, and I'm going to play that clip for you right now.
2: I'd like to uh, ask Ian Gilman a question. Yes, sir. Uh, Ian, I've been listening to you for 10 years, and you're still the only true singer in rock and roll. I mean, you're the best. Thank you and, very much. Uh, what I wanted to say was, when you were with Black Sabbath, your voice seemed to go through kind of a metamorphosis. It was a lower rasping vibrato, and then you seemed to hold it back a bit on the perfect strangers. I was wondering in the future if you were going to go back into that range or just stay with what you've got now. Well, it's uh, very different. The different uh, um, sort of permutations of musicians you work with over the years really decide how you're going to sing. Uh, you don 't consciously think of this when you go into a studio and write songs and actually sing them in the studio, but most of the songs are fairly improvised. You write them in in the morning and you sing them in the afternoon and that 's the way they turn out um, and you 're pretty much guided by um, the people you have to work with and in terms of inspiration um, i 've got a feeling that when we look back at perfect strangers we 're going to find that We were all working well within our limits. Um, What we're doing now on stage is right back to pushing the frontiers individually as far as they can go. And I I think we'd all agree that it's got better and better as we've gone along. So I think, yes, there's going to be a lot more adventure. Um, My range has certainly come back. I did find my range limited uh, working with Sabbath and uh, with my own band as well. Basically, because I wasn't pushed as hard as I am with this band, because um, there, there wasn't the the challenge there. So I think uh, in future it's going to be, you know, the, the same as it ever was.
0: So I I find that really interesting because I thought he really used a, a great range on this album. I mm. mean, he sang some lower stuff, not place in line low, thank God, but you know, some some <laughs> lower stuff, uh, all the way up to some really high screams, like in Hotline. Uh, So I I really thought he used a broad range on this album. So I I find that whole comment kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, when he was saying that, I kind of was finding myself like disagreeing with him. I'm like, I don't know if your range was like limited. Like maybe he did. Like I feel like on the Sabbath album, he was like hitting those high notes more than he had in a while. Um, Like he was... like i agree that he was like a different type of singer in that band like he was like he he turned like full on metal singer like i mean you could you could put him up against uh, rob halford anybody um and uh that was that was totally different but i mean that also had to do with the fact that i mean uh Iommi as a guitar player wasn't the the same as uh as richie like they were they were heavy but in different ways like i mean uh, iomi was like just like gi- gigantic heavy like like doom heavy, like Richie didn't really have any doomy uh, type of uh riffs. So, um, but yeah, I, I think um, I agree with you. That was an interesting comment. it's like, but maybe he didn't mean like a range as in like how high or low he could sing. Maybe he just meant this, maybe he meant his style. Like th- 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 at least that's what I think he was talking about.
0: That could be like he, maybe he didn't feel like he had a lot of flexibility in the verses and, and choruses as much as as some of the other songs that he's used to. But he brings up a good point. I mean, the people that you work with really inspire how you're going to write your parts and how you're going to perform. And I mean, I found that with different people that I've played with, they inspire completely different rhythms in me. You know, So I, I get what mm-hmm. he's saying there. But I, I always just took that comment as a little odd, because I, I felt that he used a broad range. But I think you've you've probably got it right he's talking more about just the general parts of the song and not those featured parts right yeah very interesting though um i happen to to remember that question and i thought well i'll just include that because yeah why not it's relevant yeah you know? so our first track on the album is actually based on a true story it's called trashed and gillen uh redid this on his album gillen's in did a another just you know, ball busting version of it on on that album, and I think if I remember right, I want to say Tony Iomi played guitar on that version as well.
1: It's been a while since I heard it, but I I feel like he might have.
0: He had a lot. It was all know. guests on that album. I mean, he had his core band, yeah. but like people would come in and guest on different songs, and uh, it was a lot yeah. of fun. Great album. I'll be covering that at some point. I'm sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys will too on on your show. Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so this is, uh, this is a song called trashed and it's about, uh, well, they were recording the album at the manor, which was Richard Branson's house. And he had a studio there. They were living there and, uh, Richard had a racetrack and somebody had a little too much alcohol and got in the car. (laughs) Here we go. then his car went rolling and uh, (laughs) flipped upside down. There was a gas leak. And apparently one of the guys in the band was smoking a cigarette. So they had to rush him away from from the area so that it didn't, uh, you know, didn't blow up everything. Uh, Really interesting. It's always interesting when the story that's being told is a true story. But Mm -hmm. the great thing about Gillen's delivery on everything he does is it doesn't have to be a true story. He's going to sing it and make you feel like whatever he's singing about really happened.
1: Right yeah i mean his um i mean i've gone on record as saying that uh you know sometimes his lyrics are just like they could they could seem a little uh um i guess because there's like storytelling lyrics they seem kind of like stilted you know what i mean like it doesn't really fit in but i mean he's always been like a quirky guy so it's just like i feel like you know sometimes it hits the mark sometimes it doesn't or you have to be in the mood for it or but um i mean i i definitely think that this song and like it fits in great, because I, I just remember hearing it, I like, first time I heard it, I, like, just loved how just heavy the riff was, and, uh, and the whole song, and then, I mean, the song was called Trashed, so, I mean, how cool is it to have a song about getting trashed, you know, when you're a teenager <laughs> anyways, you know, and it's like Sabbath singing it, and Gillen, you know, screaming the lyrics, so, I mean, it's like what's not to love, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's a really cool song.
0: I think it's a great opener too. I mean, just, just getting right into it saying this is going to be a heavy album. Uh, Ian yeah. Gillen makes his presence known right off the bat and says, Hey, I'm here and I'm, I'm showed up for this, you know? Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, I, this is one of the ones where I would be really curious in, in thinking about the version on Gillen's Inn where the guitars are a little bit heavier. Uh, you know, if the guitars had a little bit different of an EQ on it, there was a little more low end in them. How much heavier the song would actually sound because i i think that tony's guitar does sound a little fuzzy versus heavy distortion on this album and and again that all goes to the production like we talked about earlier so i think that it's going to be really interesting to see if he is able to remaster and remix this album uh how his sound is going to be and how how much different the heavy feel will will come into play But this is this is just a a bar. It's a it's a killer way to start a heavy album. I agree. Yeah, it does get into some really uh, interesting parts. There's there's a part where he's sort of like praying to God that he's going to live through this. And, uh, you know, the the drums change to like really uh, snare buzz rolls and stuff. And it's it's really different for Sabbath, too. I feel like this style of music from the stuff of theirs that I'm familiar with. This is just a different album for them musically, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um, I would say it's more, um, I guess, I I guess you would say it's more aggressive sounding if you think about it. Because I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, uh, like, uh, obviously, like, you know, Ozzy was really like, uh, like high strung. Uh, Dio was a really powerful singer, but this is aggressive in a different way, because those guys aren't singers the way that Gillen is like the way that he drives the song, like the way that he, like the way that he opened the song with the screams. Um, you know, is, is like a lot different than when like Dio screams or hits a high note or like, you know, when Ozzy like wails away or whatever, it's just like, they're all different. Like none of them are the same singer. So that's why I was, or even style of singer. Like, I mean, even hearing like Gillen and this band, it's just like, wow, they have like a, they have like a, like a, like a Halford type singer in here because it's like, those guys don't have Gillen's range.
0: Very true. And you know, now that I think about it, just listening to the opening verse. He's singing a little bit higher in register than he normally does. Maybe that's part of what he was talking about too is that he's not singing in his normal range. He had to sing a little bit above where he's normally at and that could be very limiting.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean um I I always thought that this was the album that he like had like, you know, vocally had like pushed himself on more than any other one that I, at least, you know, I'd heard up to that time. Because I mean, like a year, like listen to a year later or whatever it was and, and Perfect Strangers, it's like not even anywhere near as crazy as this with his vocals. He was much more like in that in his box, you know, back in his zone. Yeah, well, that and that lends
0: a little bit of credence to what that caller was saying, where he says it seems like you really lean back on Perfect Strangers. You know, like you guys were everything that you did on Perfect Strangers was really comfortable. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were no screams, there were no highway stars, there were no, you know, space truckings or anything like that. Like the, the album, th- it, there was really no aggression on Perfect Strangers. So it, it is interesting coming off of this album where you have songs like Trash to going to an album like Perfect Strangers as your next performance, and it's completely different. I mean, there's no similarities between them at all.
1: Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, it's just to hearing the two albums back to back and you're like, how are these <laughs> recorded? Like, so, you know, by like this, the same guy, like, you know, so close together, you know?
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting contrast. Uh, mm-hmm. Our next song up is an instrumental and this is called Stonehenge. Uh, I don't know if they wrote that before or after they decided on Stonehenge for their stage set, mm-hmm. but uh, an interesting point uh, that I might be the only one in the world that relates to this. But there was a video game called Interstellar, and it was in the arcades at the time. It was a Laserdisc-driven game like Dragon's Lair. Uh, there were a handful of games that were done on Laserdisc, so you could do so much more graphically. They were the most visually stunning uh, video games at the time. And I remember it was, a, it was a space game. It was a sit-down machine, so you had to sit down inside of the cabinet. And the music that they played was really superior because they weren't using those eight-bit sounds, they were actually using recorded music, uh, because you could do that with a laser disc. And so, uh, for some reason, uh, this has always reminded me of bits of that game. So uh, I've got—I uh, think I put a link in the in the notes to a YouTube video of the game. Check it out. See if you agree. You can disagree. Like I said, I may be literally the only one in the world that even thinks that. <laughs> it's it's not uncommon for me to be off on my own. <laughs> But here's a little taste of Stonehenge. believe it or not, that's actually 25% of the entire song. (laughs) It's not very long. Uh, I I love the feel of this song. I'm a person who likes instrumental music anyway, and I just love the mood of it. This is something that I can just lay on the bed, put the headphones on and just let myself get submerged in this audio world and wondering what these little sounds that we're hearing with the delay are. Uh, I've always been a fan of this song. What do you think of it?
1: listening to it now I think that it's um it's like good to have a uh, segues uh between the songs is uh similar to what I feel like he like uh, uh Iomi was doing like um what they did on the early Sabbath albums you know they had like kind of the the little uh you know kind of acoustic interludes and stuff and this kind of uh, updated it to the 80s and made it even more dark with like the the really ominous keyboard uh interludes between songs so um yeah that's definitely it's definitely a mood piece because then you have like that that really just like just like uh th- this really like big song out of the gate that comes out and then you have this one that sets the tone for whatever's coming next which we find out is a little a little darker hmm
0: yeah, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of, and I think this actually came out first, because this came out in, well, this came out in 83. When did Master of Puppets come out? Wasn't that uh, around 86? 80? Oh, was that late? Okay. This yeah. actually reminds me a little bit of the opening to Damage Incorporated with Cliff Burton doing those bass mm-hmm. effects. Um, just has that like, mm, mm, you know, that that kind of uh, just drawing in and cutting yeah, off. The, the
1: swells, yeah. Yeah,
0: and the, and the little echo delay on mm-hmm. it as well. Uh, which yeah. I've always loved that opening. Like I I had often thought I would love to have a whole song of just whatever Cliff Burton wanted to do from there and, and not have it go into <laughs> yeah. damage incorporated. Cause I just love that part so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it is a, you know, you, you coming off of this really heavy opening song, then you drop down to this mood changer and this, this gloomy dark brooding something's coming kind of feel And then you get into the next song, which is disturbing the priest. Just a killer, right back into the heaviness, powerful singing, uh, Mm -hmm. some great cackling. Gillen is so good at that kind of cackling, like he did in Speed King, you know. I've decided that's just how I'm going to laugh at jokes from now on.
1: (laughs) That's going to take a toll on your vocal cords.
0: It it might. (laughs) It'll be worth it. Uh, (laughs) Not going to any comedy clubs anytime soon, though. Uh, yeah, this is just, I mean, right off the bat, like there, there's no breathing room. As soon as it starts, it just kicks you right in the ass and does not let up.
1: Yeah, this is, um, this is definitely like, I always felt this was more demonic. Like you had trashed, which was like the really like high energy song. And this one has it too, but it's like, it's more demonic. Um, and it's a really interesting riff for iomi because he sounds like he's he's like he's playing like uh some um some harmonics in the um in the verse and there's like the the keyboards in the background like doing that kind of like um you know, the kind of like druid chorus sounding like, oh, you know, mm. and it's just like, it just it's like, oh, my God, this song is so evil. <laughs> you know, it's talking about a priest. And it's like what's happening. <laughs> and, and at the end,
0: it goes even further. I mean, it just goes back into that like Gillen just goes off at the end of mm. it. And it's so enjoyable to listen to because you don't get to hear him do that kind of stuff. It just wasn't exactly. it's not his style. But he pulls it off so well. I mean, you you can't help but to just get all hyped up and just like ready to battle something or whatever uh yeah i I think it's i think it really shows what gillen could do outside of what he liked to do
1: yeah fair point i think um i i mean i mean we know he could do it because you you brought up a great point is that's that's probably the the, the, the height that he hit with um, uh, coming out of the, the guitar solo um, or the solo section of Speed King, which is like, I think the only time that he's ever done anything like that that wild but the only difference is, is that like you only got to hear it for that like five seconds and then he went back into it and you're just like oh i wish he could do that for a whole song well here he is <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: yeah you, you, 20 years later you get your wish you know
1: uh, yeah, and he's still doing it yeah
0: yeah and you know this might be the first time he really got back into the screen well i know because he did some of that with with the the gillen band and the ian gillen band that he had and gillen uh, but really, yeah, he was like a like little
1: sparingly, a little more sparing, I think. Yeah, i he seemed a little you know, like
0: more free spirited on In Rock, and then kind of settled down for Fireball and Machine Head and everything after that. This is kind of like him returning to that wildness a little bit, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good word for for him on this album is wild because if like if you hear In Rock, right, and I, it's great that we're drawing the comparisons too, because In Rock is like another kind of like. um Um, not not as well produced album it's really raw let's say Um, even though I love it like I wouldn't change a thing about it honestly but it's like he was really a lot less filtered on that album like he was like kind of like letting free like a lot more like you know metal I guess you could say because that's like the early like um, you know one of the early important like you know uh, uh, like precursors to heavy metal albums or whatever and then when you got to like Machine Head, it was a little more polished, um, uh, uh, Fireball, all those albums, you know, and then of course the Gillen albums um, were, were, you know, produced really well and like great songs and everything, but not as like, kind of just like, like you said, like wild free spirited rock and roll, like on that album. And then this, this whole album seems to have that same kind of like, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're going off the rails, you know, like, uh like, think of that first song, Trashed, right? And it's like about an out-of-control car crash. That's what this whole album feels like, It's just like the, the car's out-of-control and everybody's just wailing away.
0: Very yeah, true. Which is, a,
1: which is a good thing.
0: That's a great point. And, you know, thinking about, like, the Gillen-era years of, of his own bands, like, the music was very progressive, but I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think he was wild as a singer. Like, the songs were uh, progressive, but they were still structured very well. You know, yeah. as songs. Whereas I feel like this is just like you know what if you if you have an urge to sing something, just sing it. Like it's like you're unleashed. This is your time to like anything that's pent up, let it out. Right. You know, and I th- I think about in rock, and I think okay, well, when he joined the band, you know, he's joining this this band that's got a lot of fame already, and they're they're talking about doing you know a heavy rock album, but first we're gonna do this concerto thing. And he's like, you know, waiting until the last minute to write the lyrics and and all that. And I just kind of feel like when they got to in rock, he's like, all right, I sat by while all this stuff was going on. And I just like, I'm ready to let it out. And that's why in part of why in rock happened with the dramatic side of it that it did is because they were all just itching to do it. And, you know, like Richie said, if it's not exciting or dramatic, it doesn't belong on the album. So, you know, you put those two together and go, all right, you want exciting and dramatic hold my beer and you just <laughs> let it out but i feel like this is probably Gillen at the most unleashed i've ever heard him
1: yes wild unleashed like you know these are these are all um like appropriate words for what we're hearing mm-hmm. i and, think and he pulls it off so well that's
0: the thing like i'm glad he didn't do this as his career i think he would have burned his voice out i think you mm-hmm. know i don't think it would have lasted long but i'm so glad that we got to experience him doing it yeah, for sure. And, and you know, he, he's often said that this is one of his favorite albums that he's ever done. Which which is interesting because it's it's the only time he's ever done stuff like this.
1: Maybe that's why. Maybe it was just, you know, how exciting it was for him to play against type, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that
0: very well could be. Well, that we're, leads us know. into uh, <clears throat> the Dark. So we're going back into another uh, bit of an instrumental uh, this is another short one, and this will lead into our next song, Zero the Hero. So when we start Zero the Hero, uh, it's, it's going to sound weird because there's like just a little bit of the dark in there because, you know, that's how digital file IDs work. Well, the song's only 45 seconds, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's because it's really just an interlude. Uh, to me, it sounds I don't know how they got the sound that they did, but it seems to me almost like they recorded whales and then I just was going to say that them, yeah. Yeah, affected them.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it sounded like those whale mating calls from the first Deep Purple album we were talking about the other <laughs> <You're> day.
0: The <right>. little <laughs> <Good old> shades <laughs> of Deep Purple and the gimmick, uh, the gimmick sound <laughs> effects. Yeah, uh,
1: but but yeah, it does. It sounds like it sounds like demonic whale calls.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's Tony Iommi, you know, or maybe a combination of of him and uh, and, and Geezer Butler, but. It it definitely sounds it has that whale feel to it. Just the the way mm-hmm. that the calls go, and and it's almost like you're you have the call but no response, which makes it even more haunting. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think it's dolphins. I think there's too much squeaking with dolphins. I, I would say most likely it's either whales or they just replicated whales with their instruments.
1: But yeah, it's, I'm going for that. I'm I'm thinking it might have been that.
0: But it's just a bizarre thing. So you're coming out of this blistering heavy song you've got this cackling at the end that just you know because he goes back to that laughing and and that really satanic laughing and then and that fades out and then this comes on and you're like what the hell it's just a really abrupt sort of change
1: right it it kind of brings you back into the into that kind of like you know um uh like ominous um, instrumental type of thing, you know, the, like, like, like the dark, like when, when I heard that title, right. It's like, I always figure like that's what, like, if you heard this in the dark, you would just be like, the hell is that? Yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah, like looking around like, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So like, I, that's what I always made me think of. Like maybe these are like noises that would scare you in the dark or something like that. Like it's, it's definitely like a mood piece, um, which you know leads into something mm-hmm. and and i don't know it just it seems like it's kind of
0: unnecessary because i think they could have just faded zero the hero in but i'm glad they put it on here because it is a nice it's almost like a palette freshener you know mm-hmm. uh and just to to kind of reset you and get you ready for the next one because the ending of of disturbing the priest was so intense you know, and the story, by the way, that I, I heard from Ian uh, from Disturbing the Priest was that when they were practicing, you know, they were practicing like late at night because that's when bands you know, practice and there was a church down the road that apparently it was during their sermons and things that they were having and so the the nuns came over and just asked if they could arrange practice times so that they wouldn't be affecting the church and they were really polite about it, the band complied, but then they turned around and wrote this song, so yeah, you know, they got something out of it that's I, that's just so weird that richard branson you that's would weird. think he's got a recording studio that's right down the street from a church but, but the studio isn't you know soundproofed enough where the sound is is contained it's getting out into a church which is probably going to have its own architecture i don't know that's right. kind of weird but maybe they were just practicing in a different room or something and not the padded studio i don't know
1: but yeah maybe Um uh...
0: In any case, it's, it's an interesting little backstory for, for that song. Uh, this next one is, uh, I, I, well, I could say there are, with every song, it's another one of my favorites, but uh, this is another one of my favorites. This is called Zero the Hero. this one sounds very heavy in comparison to the guitars on the other songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, I remember that um, when, when Nate and I were reviewing it, one of the big things that we noticed was that the, the, the guitar riff almost sounded out of time with the drums, like by a little bit. And we didn't know if that was uh, like a little off, off beat with it. If that was on purpose, I mean, it had to have been because they would have left it on because it was very, it's very like chugging. It's very like, um, very heavy, but it's almost like you feel like it's almost so heavy that they can't, they can't play it fast <laughs> enough, <laughs> which, which is really cool. But it's, it's almost like that uh, drummer playing behind the beat type of thing is, is just like, you know, the, the, the little bit that the the riff is off from like the drum beat actually makes it heavier. And then you have like the, like the Halloween sounding like, you know, like keyboard stabs in there and, um, the backwards drums, like kind of like uh, uh, pulsating in and out, like the little like, shoo, you know? Yeah. And it's just like just some really cool, like, like just evil sounding effects.
0: It's really intense. And, and I think that the the beat is definitely relaxed. And there's no doubt about that. But I what I'm hearing is either they recorded it twice and shifted the uh, one of the tracks a little bit. Or they had a delay on it that, like, I can hear the riff in one ear and I can hear it delayed in the other ear. So I think there Uh is a little bit of a shift there. And that's what, like, the combination of that and the relaxed beat, I think, is what you're hearing. Um, I've Uh I've always agreed with that, though. I've always felt like there's something really weird about the way the song was recorded. Because it feels a little bit off of what it should be. And that makes it a little bit unsettling through the whole song, which I really like. I love that creepy bendy note at the beginning um you know the higher pitch note that we hear uh is that is that on guitar though is that like him with a whammy bar
1: um i think it's just it sounds like him doing like uh just him just hitting like the notes like just doing it, like a unison bend mm-hmm. just going like man me. just like just hitting that one note and just like letting it wail you know, just like you just keep stabbing it over and over again. You know what it
0: reminds me of? And this, again, might be a weird comparison. But if you if you think about the film soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar and you think about when the crowd was there and they were laughing at at Jesus being nailed and they there was such a weird effect on on them that it was really unsettling. I kind of feel that same thing here about those higher notes. It's really similar mm-hmm. to me
1: yeah I mean uh, audibly it may you know it probably you know is the same effect mm-hmm. yeah it's a very powerful song
0: I love the backwards drums on it. I thought that was a really nice addition in fact there's a middle section where there's uh, some nice snare work that's backwards uh, this is a pretty straightforward song overall though uh, it's a really good rock and roller but I, I love how heavy this sounds especially compared to the guitar sound on the other two songs which like I said was a little bit thinner but they were still heavy songs. This if you use this sound on the whole album, I think it could take it to another level.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um I think this is definitely like one of the if not the heaviest song on the album. And I think that um uh and then let like, like let's not forget when Gillen kicks in and he starts singing and they like um and then the the riff kind of um opens up a little bit because he's like the riff, he kind of like mutes it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, he goes, and then when he starts, when he starts singing in the verses, he opens it up and he lets the notes ring out a little bit and then he goes, and it's like, and it's just, you know, it kind of like, it propels the song a little bit. So it's like, um, they they definitely were. Uh, for, for an album that sounds like it's out of control or maybe even a little sloppy or whatever, there's a lot of elements in there where you're like, they took a lot of time on this. And like, there were a lot of little touches in there. So that's, you know, maybe another reason that a a, a remix of this album would serve it well, you know, it'd be interesting to have a nice side by side. But I mean, on its own, like just the way the song is now, this is just like probably one of the heaviest songs I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And there's a really nice solo from Tony Iomi. It's it's a very patient solo, which I think you know, with a slower tempo song. Uh, I think he really really came up with something great for this one. Uh, great mm-hmm. vocal. The bass is also really heavy on this one too, heavier I think than the other songs. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I love it. it and Gillan's quite the wordsmith on this one. Like you you were mentioning how how quirky and unique he is. He he tends to write in in languages that show how intelligent he really is. You know, it's like on on his website Karamba where he has the the time uh that's you know he's got a little time counter on the website and next to it he wrote just so you know when you are. And that is so classic of Gillen to 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 say it instead of saying here's the time or just so you know when it is. He's he's twisted it in a way that makes it just so Ian Gillan and just so yeah. you know when you are. That's something he would absolutely say. And mm-hmm. he does a lot of lyrics like that on this album.